coming up on Influencing Entrepreneurs. Had a career in television for a period and then went to work in black media, which uh, synced up nicely with my sensibilities. And I worked for some amazing black media entrepreneurs really at the, the height of or the heyday of black media. So. You know, folks like John Johnson, who is the publisher of Jet and Ebony magazine in Chicago. After years of teaching business and entrepreneurship, I found that when guest speakers revealed the hardships and mistakes made throughout their professional and personal lives, it resonated with my students. That's when I thought, why not share these stories so that other entrepreneurs have access to the same insights for education and inspiration? I'm Kazmer Ward, and this is influencing entrepreneurs. On this episode, we talk with Henry Rock of City Startup Labs. Henry has been closing the entrepreneurial divide where often marginalized young black men and women as well as returning citizens are on the sidelines watching the startup parade go by. City Startup Labs creates a new class of entrepreneurs by providing a robust, accelerated, progressive and disciplined approach to developing entrepreneurial talent. Henry's goal has not only been to provide business-ready skills for launching new ventures, but to also help improve the participants' ability to be better innovators, problem solvers, and leaders. What I'd like you know, our audience to talk about, or, or hear you talk about, is your involvement in the entrepreneurial uh, community, but we don't, we're not born entrepreneurs, and we all have this backstory on how we started our first company or became a founder or took over a company. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself sure. and your background and how that led to your involvement with City Startup Labs. Right, well, great, thank you. Um, so we started uh, actually with this idea uh, originally back in the, the mid-aughts, an idea for an entre entrepreneur's boot camp for uh, the formerly incarcerated and former gang members. And uh, I was looking to do this in Newark the time of the uh, incoming uh, Cory Booker administration. He was becoming mayor of Newark at the time. Uh, they had a lot on their plate and this was not one of them. Put that idea on the shelf, um, dusted it off a few years later when uh, then Mayor Bloomberg of New York uh, launched the Young Men's Initiative, which was targeting uh, young men of color ages 14 to 24 uh, around the areas of uh, education, criminal justice, and uh, employment. And I felt that a piece of that puzzle that was missing was entrepreneurship and self-employment, uh, especially if you you know, have had a, um, any criminal, criminal background, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to get the employment that you want, have a living wage, and, and that sort of thing. So self-employment seemed to be um, uh, uh, an important um, possibility. And um, as fate would have it, um, the, uh, that particular administration didn't, entrepreneurship was not a part of their ballywick. As fate would have it, I was coming to, uh, to Charlotte and I had reached out to the National Urban League about the idea of uh, launching this as a pilot here in Charlotte and uh, then potentially rolling this out to other markets around the, around the country where they had affiliates. Uh, so the president and CEO of uh, this chapter of the Urban League at the time uh, really saw the value in us doing this as a pilot. And the focus was on young black men at the time. It was um, really black male millennials, so 18 to 35-year-olds. And uh, so we did a pilot with them for a couple of years. And in, in what year is this? 
Uh, well, we kicked things off in 2014. Uh, we had received a, um, a grant from the, from the Rockefeller Foundation to actually launch our pilot. Um, and um, that was as a result of actually having done a TED Talk around this topic. So then after a couple of years of doing this pilot with the Urban League, uh, decided to um, affiliate with VenturePrize, which is um, located at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. So we've been um, affiliated with them for the last uh, few years. There's some real advantages for, for doing that because uh, of our proximity and relationship um, by extension, if you will, to the university and some of their resources and so forth. Where did you start your career and how did you, you obviously built a, a, a successful toolbox of skills. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your background. I actually come from a long line of uh, folks that have thought uh, and as well as uh, put some effort into um, being focused on how we could uplift the race. That was, uh, in fact, that was a theme that was, that started, you know, back in the 1800s. How do you uplift the race uh, post-slavery? So a lot of my uh, familial background is in black history, uh, Negro history at the time. A lot of my familial background sort of intersects uh, black history in, in some amazing ways. So I had that as a foundation. When I was coming up, uh, it was really on the heels of the civil rights movement. I was uh, pretty active in the, in the black power movement at the time. A lot of that really uh, established, was formative for me. I got into um, media uh, as a uh, profession uh, I, I didn't complete college, uh, believe it or not, but I decided that I was going to take this track into media uh, through um, the going, starting it off of the proverbial mailroom. I had a career in television for a period and then went to work in black media, which uh, synced up nicely with my sensibilities. And I worked for some amazing black media entrepreneurs really at the, the height of, or the heyday of black media. So, you know, folks like John Johnson, who was the publisher of Jet and Ebony magazine in Chicago. Uh, Reagan Henry, who was a person that we really don't hear much of, who was, uh, who, uh, was the owner of probably the largest number of uh, TV and radio stations around the country as a black man. The National Black Network, and on and on. I mean, I could go on and about the, uh, the folks that I worked with who, again, were amazing entrepreneurs and mentors to me, and you know, not just in terms of being their employee, but also uh, really being, uh, uh, having their tutelage as well. Sort of consistent with that was, was uh, you know, selling advertising to um, black businesses and also uh, to um, advertising agencies that were owned and operated by black folks. I threw my hat into the entrepreneurial ring a couple of times um, with media efforts that, you know, uh, crashed and burned. I thought that it would be a good idea to bring uh, a lot of this experience that was both familial and professional to bear on behalf of young folks that uh, oftentimes had um, uh, you know, exposed to this this um, generational divide. So I'm a boomer, and I'm dealing with millennials. And uh, one of the things that I felt was important is to bridge that. <clears throat> pardon me, to bridge that gap. 
Was there a trigger or was there some major life point that that affected you to say, okay, now is the right time and now is the right opportunity? I'm actually of retirement age, so I could be doing other things in, right. in this time uh, and chose to... Uh, to deal with this as opposed to, you know, boning up on my uh, golf game, which I don't have, right? <laughs> there really wasn't anything uh, in the, you know, an intersection professionally that said, okay, well, you know, ditch the job and go do this. However, all throughout my career, I've been thinking about throwing my hat into the ring, as I said earlier, with an idea or two and collaborating with other folks around, around things. So, you know, that, that entrepreneurial instinct was there. Uh, I think it exists for uh, most of us. How do you differ how you go to grow your, your member base versus how you're out promoting the organization as a whole to say, okay, this is a this is a uh, an organization that's going to give back to the community and this is and promoting your mission. And how do you get buy-in on both the member side and the sponsor side? Well sometimes I wonder whether or not I do it well, uh, to be honest with you. Um, uh, it's always been a, a challenge to uh, to balance both of those things and to do them you know, reasonably well. Um, we typically have a small cohort uh, that we deal with, so it's about 25 uh, participants at a time. Uh, the program runs, um, it, it used to run actually up to nine months. So there was uh, four modules, uh, three of which are what I would call the accelerator portion of it. And uh, then the fourth module is really more the incubation. So you take what you've learned over that uh, first three-month period, and then begin to apply that in the in the form of a go-to-market strategy or minimal viable product or prototype and that sort of thing. And and uh, so we did have six months of incubation, and and now we've pared that down to three. It's always been a challenge to really try to get a good caliber of folk in the program because you you know. Uh, you really want to, as, as you're alluding to, you want to be able to service the needs of the funders who are looking for results and outcomes and outputs and that sort of thing right. on one hand. But then you also want to make sure that you're as um, open uh, as possible uh, to those folks that are really enthusiastic about becoming entrepreneurs. And how do you, you, know, how do you uh, balance that? It's been a tough balancing act uh, to convince funders who are, uh, and, and we get much of our funding actually through foundations and, and, and the like. There's a, a, a smattering that comes from private donations and that sort of thing. It's been a challenge to get uh, funders to see the value of this, but now we've got, well, this is our fifth cohort that we'll be starting, so we have some credible uh, history, and we can, you know, speak to some evidence that shows that this has been um, that this has been efficacious to the folks that have gone through the program. Funders are are uh, maybe a little more keen about what it is that we're doing. Uh, on the other hand, you know, uh, it, again, it's it's um, 
um, to use this term again, a challenge to get good qualified folk to sign up and vet them and all of that to become participants and then uh, to want to continue to give back or to sort of pay it forward to the next class that comes along. for sponsors and donors, sometimes they don't understand that. So you're selling, this is what our mission is. Uh, it, it'll make the world a better place. It'll make us all feel better at the end of the day for participating and being a part of it. But sometimes that unfortunately falls on deaf ears. So obviously, you know, uh, going into your, your fifth cohort, there's been success for this, but there's no doubt, and we, a lot of times we don't talk about all the doors that were shut on our shut in our face along the way and we didn't realize we were not doing or saying the right thing so I was gonna say and you don't have to be extremely specific but who or how did that first win come along to where the first sponsor where they got it and you said I want this feeling I want this success yeah. over and over again the Rockefeller Foundation had um, there is a, uh, a woman that was running a, uh, a portion of the fund where there was discretionary income or discretionary funds that she could allocate and uh, a woman that was working with her happened to have seen the uh, the TED talk that I'd done and they were you know I guess impressed enough to say hey listen this is this is an organization that we would like to get behind. And, and at that point, we hadn't launched, really. So, um, so it was on the basis of that, of that address that I gave that, 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 they, um, that they decided to fund us. This is the first time that uh, the Rockefeller Foundation uh, has done anything, and, nor since, here in Charlotte. And uh, so that was a, a bit of a feather in the cap. Right? It was a good feeling around that. And then um, there were other funders, Knight Foundation, Wells Fargo, that kind of fell in line thereafter. And I felt that I was on a nice little roll there. Right? And um, only to find out that uh, you cannot uh, take your pedal off the, or metal, uh, foot off the pedal, yeah. you know, you say pedal to the metal, right? right? You know, so um, I didn't pedal to the metal. Some of that had to do with, you know, actually, actually, ha actually having to do the work, right. uh, the, the sort of the day-to-day -day work. Right. Uh, and fundraising is a, a job in on it, in, into itself, unto yes. itself rather. So, um, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it was cautionary. Uh, to, to say that, you know, when you uh, have that first few clients, you know, um, don't let up at all. You know, you want to, uh, to, you know, I used to run track and, the, you know, we, we always talk about running through the tape. Right. You know, because there are some people that, you know, get to the tape, right, and somebody beats them right. uh, because they ran through the tape. So it's important to continue to run through the tape. So with that, and that, let's talk about some of the challenges you face along the way, because especially with fundraising and, and building that case, 
you learn a level of humility <laughs> along the way when you're out, uh, whether it's it's uh, in sponsors, members, or even trying to raise capital for a startup company. You learn no, you get asked questions that uh, you. It's easy to start self-doubting yourself, maybe even to the point where you were like, am I doing the right thing or is it time to just right. j just time to close up shop? All right. Well, I've, I've actually had that feeling um, recently in dealing with uh, millennials, to be honest with you. You know, there um, there's a sense of entitlement and so forth that I just don't quite get and I've been working with them for a right. while but I still you know kind of boggles the mind I tend not to dwell too long on in in the uh, as uh, as Seth Godin would say in the dip mm -hmm. right I um, I really uh, I don't get too high I don't get too low you know we, we try to maintain some sort of even keelness the challenges are things that I I, I expect you know uh, having been in sales you know for you know, 20 years. Which kind of toughens the toughens your skin a little bit. Yeah, oh, absolutely. There's a, um, a fellow that, uh, a colleague that says uh, he takes no for vi as vitamins, yeah. you know, and, um, and, and I think that's a, a great way to, to, to look at it, you know. So there's that, but then, you know, we launched a new initiative dealing with uh, the formerly incarcerated. And there are challenges that are, that are associated with dealing with that population, one that we never dealt with before and you know how do you help them to navigate their uh, personal issues and all of that and one of the ways we actually help our cohorts is through uh, mentorship and coaching business coaching but also mentorship that helps them to deal with uh, when life gets in the way as you're going into your fifth cohort um, obviously a with, with the challenges that come to setting up, you know, uh, your organization, what is the success maybe that, while there's no doubt that you're already successful? At the end of the day, um, it's really about developing this entrepreneurial talent. You know, one of the things that I think is absolutely important and what in, in a lot of cases distinguishes us from other accelerator programs and the like is that we do focus a lot on who folks are and what's going on in their belly and what's going on in their heart and what's going on in their mind. Um, I mean, you can get um, entrepreneurial training or education um, easily nowadays. Uh, you know, it's very accessible. But some of this other stuff about mindset and critical thinking and, you know, understanding who you are and why you are, where you are and all of that, uh, while that for the participants um, oftentimes seems to be uh, you know uh, uh, warm and fuzzy stuff mm -hmm. we really want to get to that because that is foundational uh, for building business acumen so at the end of the day it's really about have we developed entrepreneurial talent such that they can either launch the next whatever right. or actually be better employees in the companies that they're working for should they choose not to hang a shingle so our mission is really uh, about how we develop the person and you know, the, 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 the success that comes out of that in terms of the next whatever is really kind of icing on the top as far as I'm concerned. Just a couple points I wanted to circle back to. So uh, being a baby boomer, dealing with the millennial generation, it's a challenge that's happening throughout every industry 
right now. Um, how are, and, and while that even can seem like a barrier or, or days you're like, you know what, let's call it a day, what are some of the breakthroughs you're making in order to, to make that connection? Because really what you're looking for is how do we convey these concepts and message to a generation that seems extremely foreign to everything we right. <laughs> practice. Well, one of the things is that I am, I get a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of gratification that comes from working with them, working with young folks, right? And just as it is with uh, returning citizens. However, I realized that in order for me to really scale this business and to uh, get it to a place where we have the capacity that I, that I envisioned for it, I'm gonna to have to remove myself from some of that hands-on facilitation. Uh, so uh, oftentimes people equate city startup labs to me, the, the, the personality, and not, you know, city startup labs is unto itself an entity that is doing these things, right, that, we're, that, that is part of our mission. So what I like to do is to really be able to sort of extricate myself from that day-to-day -day activity working with uh, these young folks, even though I love doing it, uh, and really focus more on building capacity and building this business. And that's going to take, um, you know, just a, a shift in focus for me. But in the meantime, I'm enjoying, uh, even though I said what I said earlier about uh, that, that, that may have been... Uh, you know, uh, a, a hill too high to climb. Yeah. Uh, I, I still really relish working with these folks. And what I get from them is uh, a, a sense of their appreciation yeah. for having gone through this. No, and, and even as you said, even though it becomes frustrating and you, you want to scream at, at, at the wall some days, it's been my experience the things that frustrate you the most are the reason you keep coming back day after day. So, in fact, I don't just scream at the wall, I scream at them too sometimes. Yeah, yeah, cuz they 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 oftentimes deserve a uh, a uh, a swift kick in the the behind and get them out of their complacency. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for participating. It's thank it's you. stories like this that uh, hopefully all those listening will uh, learn a little something and and hopefully uh, inspire them to to reach out and do a little more too. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash Education or visit influencingentrepreneurs.com to catch up on previous episodes with Casimir Ward.